And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. On today's Fancy Baseball in 15, we'll look at the Astros lineup and the banged-up Reds rotation. Like death and taxes, Dodgers get a Dodger. <laughs> I have That's not had uh, three co-crews yet. It works great in a fantasy league. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy Baseball in 15. On The Athletic. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Monday, March 15th. I'm Al Melchior, and with me for this episode is Derek Van Riper and DVR. It's time for us to shift gears a little bit. We've been doing team previews for six weeks, and we've now run out of teams. So <laughs> probably good timing because there's lots of news going on in spring training, lots to get to, and just uh, you know pre, pre-draft prep and all that kind of good stuff. Yeah, and thank you to all of our beat writers for joining us over the last several weeks. Those were great episodes, very bingeable content. So if you're just joining us as you get ready for your drafts in the next few weeks, you've got a a great resource there to go back and and listen to those. Uh, If you're a subscriber to The Athletic, you can binge them even faster going through them ad-free on The Athletic app. Yeah, absolutely do it. I used several of the things I heard on these episodes in my drafts, so lots of useful information there. And uh, we'll try to pass along some useful information here on this episode. So let's start with a couple of pitcher injuries that uh, occurred on Sunday. Uh, Steven Strasburg with a left calf injury. He is termed day-to-day. Sonny Gray, it looks like maybe a slightly more uh, serious situation with him. He was scratched from his Sunday start with a mid-back injury, and he's also just been dealing with back spasms throughout spring training. So as a result of all that, according to Bobby Nightingale, the Cincinnati Inquirer, Gray is expected to miss the first week of the season. So neither one sounding... You know, very serious at the outset. But DVR, if you were drafting tomorrow, and that may not be a hypothetical situation, I don't know what your draft schedule is, but if you were drafting tomorrow, are these the sorts of injuries that would cause you to downgrade either pitcher or upgrade potential replacements? I think in the case of Strasburg, I'm cautiously optimistic. I was a little surprised when he described himself as a fast healer when asked about the injury on Sunday. Uh, But this is part of having Steven Strasburg on your fantasy team. He gets dinged up from time to time. He looks uncomfortable pitching most of the time. He's kind of stretching out and wiggling his shoulders and his upper back a little bit like he's trying to loosen up, and that's just part of the deal. So for now, no adjustment on Strasburg because it sounds like there's a chance that he is back on schedule relatively soon. I do think Gray gets a slight downgrade for me in this case, and it probably has more to do with the pitchers around him being very close anyway. There's not much that separates Gray from Jose Barrios or Lance Lynn or Hinjin Ryu in my mind anyway. So if you have an injury that's going to possibly cost Gray a little bit of time when the season begins, go ahead and bump him down. Don't take on that added injury risk when you have comparably skilled players right behind him. Uh, Prior to this episode, I had Gray as my 19th ranked starting pitcher. I would put him behind the three guys I mentioned. I'd put him behind Corbin Burns probably behind Zach Plesak, but still keep him ahead of the 
Julio Urias, Jesus Lazardo, Chris Paddock cluster that I have. So still inside my top 25, but down slightly for sure with that likely missed time to begin the season. Yeah, and as is always the case during spring training and as we have drafts coming up, these are things that we need to monitor on a on a daily uh uh, on a daily process here. And that red situation is really one that's, that's getting more complicated. TJ Antone, uh, as of Sunday has a minor groin strain and Wade Miley, of course, has been out for a little while with a hamstring injury. And we don't know the severity of either of these injuries at this time. So is this a time to maybe dig a little deeper on the depth chart? Uh, we'll make Nando Defino happy here and maybe talk about Jose De Leon a little bit. Uh, but, uh, is, is it, maybe too soon to react to these things, uh, even though we have drafts coming up? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think they could definitely need someone to step up fairly early in the season because the Reds need a fifth starter the first full week. Wednesday the 7th is the first time their fifth starter spot comes up. They don't have multiple off days uh, within the first couple of weeks that afford them to skip that spot. So somebody has to take the ball. I do think De Leon, based on how they've used him this spring, he's probably more of their swingman. So he's the kind of guy that steps in for a temporary vacancy. I'm curious to see what happens with Michael Lorenzen as well. Because if everybody's healthy, it's Castillo, Gray, Molly, Miley, and TJ Antone for me as their best five. So Lorenzen's kind of on the outside looking in ordinarily too. So now maybe you have a Lorenzen-De Leon competition for the last spot, which may only be a temporary vacancy for a turn or two. Yeah, well, I was going to follow that up by asking if you think that Lorenzo maybe has a little more security or a leg up uh, in that in that competition. But uh, it sounds like he's maybe just just a guy competing for a spot at this point. That's kind of how I see him. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to the Astros. They've got a developing situation. Uh, really, it's been developing for a few weeks. Uh, going back at least a couple of weeks, we got reports about Miles Straw being considered as a leadoff hitter for them, and that obviously boosted his profile uh, in, in drafts. And uh, now that that leadoff discussion has broadened out, there, there have been more recent reports about Carlos Correa being in that mix. And then more recently, Jose Altuve. So I really, I think here the, the thing to do is to focus on Altuve and Straw because I think Straw got a boost from those initial reports and maybe now it's time to react and, and maybe bump them down our list a bit, or maybe not. Uh, and Jose Altuve is somebody I'll just go out and say that I feel like he's being underdrafted at this point and a move to lead off maybe doesn't benefit him so much, but I, I still think even if he, if there is the chance that he hits lead off and loses some RBI opportunities, that the fact that he is 10th among second basemen in NFBC ADP rankings, it's, it's kind of incredible to me. Yeah, I think Altuve is a great value where he's going right now. Even if the balance of RBIs versus runs shifts with the move to the leadoff spot, I think you're still very happy with what you get where he's going currently. Maybe the stolen bases only bounce back to the 6-8 to eight range this season, but there's definitely a possibility he's going to steal you 12 or 15 bags. That's not out of the question. Batting average floor is really good for Jose Altuve. The power is at least there in some form. I mean, we're only talking about a guy who was a full year removed from the 31 home runs that he hit in 2019. So I think people are overcorrecting a little bit on Jose Altuve. Rumors of his demise have been a bit exaggerated to this point. And if you're looking at that Astros lineup, I guess I never really bought into Miles Straw as the initial leadoff hitter. I think he's the sort of guy that has to prove he belongs in the lineup every day, hitting in the bottom third of the order. And if he's getting on base at a good clip, 
four, six weeks into the season and they want to put him up top, they can do that and bump everybody down. But when you have an offense as good as Houston's, why wouldn't you just promote one of your good hitters to give them more playing time as opposed to taking a guy that was your utility guy a year ago and giving him the maximum number of plate appearances? So I, I think with Straw, I was a little behind the field in terms of how excited I was about him. But I think he is a good, cheap speed play. But he's more like your typical draw Dyson, Malik Smith sort of player where a lot of that value is coming just from that one category, especially if he's hitting ninth for the Astros. Yeah, and you know it makes a big difference uh, looking at first versus ninth. And you know, there, like you said, there was never any assurances that he was going to be the leadoff hitter. Anyway, it was just something that was in the discussions there in the, in the Astros organization. So, uh, you know, maybe a lesson there that <laughs> you know, early on in spring tra- training, it's really easy to overreact to some of these reports, and we're seeing that the situation is developing. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, another situation that's developing as a result of an injury, Austin Nola has a fractured middle finger on his left hand. He has been going eighth on average among catchers in ADP and NFBC drafts, which seems very appropriate given that he's coming off of consecutive seasons where he's shown really good power and really good plate discipline, potential for you know pretty nice batting average, especially for a catcher. So this is something that could really... It certainly could hurt Nola and also hurt us in the fantasy community. I've already drafted him on some teams and there's no timetable for Nola. So we're really just operating blind here for any drafts that we have coming up. So I guess this is a little bit similar maybe to the Strasburg Gray question of with this lack of information, how do we treat Austin Nola at this point? I would treat him a little bit like Sonny Gray, a slight downgrade because it seems like there's a decent chance he'll miss a little bit of time when the season begins, or at least that he'll have to share more of the playing time than he would if he were completely healthy. The problem, I think, with this injury for Nola as a catcher is that it's his receiving hand. So with the glove hand being the one instead of the throwing hand, there's a lot more potential for setbacks with that sort of issue. Uh, If Nola opens the year on the IL, I actually think one of the better fantasy replacements is Luis Campusano. I think He's a better all-round player than Victor Caratini. Caratini would probably play more with Nola on the IL than he will uh, working in tandem, you know, with Camposano. But nevertheless, like I, I think they're in good shape catching depth-wise in San Diego, so they can afford to give Nola a couple of weeks at the beginning of the season if that's what it takes to get him completely healthy. That's funny because I was going to ask you about Caratini. So different take than than the way I would have framed the question. Uh, but again, it may be just a short-term thing if uh, Nola does only miss a couple of weeks. Now, when you're talking about somebody like Campusano, is that as a number two catcher, or do you think that there's enough enough there that he's relevant in one-catcher leagues? Probably still more of a, a two-catcher league guy because Caratini can hit, and Caratini is going to catch you Darvish regardless of who else is healthy on that roster, and they brought him along in that deal for that reason. So, I could see it being kind of a 60-40 split favoring Caratini in the short term, but then once Austin Nola comes back, it's probably 65-35 or even as much as like 80-20 to Nola. So I just think that's the problem with Caratini. It's a very sort of short-term grab for him, 
And then with Campusano, I think you got to be in a two-catcher league for the time being to roster him. All right. Well, let's go from the real world to the fantasy world. We have been engaging in drafts, uh, including industry drafts with our uh, our cohorts here on various podcasts and on various websites. Uh, so DVR, you and I just both recently completed the, the TGFBI drafts. Uh, how do you feel about yours and what lessons, if any, can you take away from your draft? Generally, I feel pretty good. I, I think the 11th spot in a 15-team league is near the bottom of my priority list in terms of KDS. I think that's one of my main takeaways. And my other takeaway is do not wait more than 10 rounds to get your first reliever because I might be chasing saves all season. I got Nick Anderson in the 11th, Richard Rodriguez in the 18th, Manuel Classe in the 23rd. Um, I threw a dart on Jonathan Hernandez before he got hurt, so he's probably going to be one of my first cuts when the season begins. But I would say don't wait as long as I did to address saves, especially in a league where you can't make trades. Well, you know, it's funny that you say that because I also waited on relievers too. And um, I got Joaquin Sori in round 12. And I actually felt good about that pick because I like his chances to get a lot of saves in Arizona. And, uh, you know, I was able to use those earlier picks uh, for, for players who I think will will have bigger impacts. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the the best case for waiting. And I do feel really good about the bats that I got, but I just think I pushed it a little bit too far. You know, I, I feel like had I gone for one of the elite of the elite closers, a hater, a Chapman, or a Liam Hendricks, that would have been an overpay given the bats that were available when my turns were coming up when those guys went. But if I had just gone 7th, 8th, ninth round to get a closer instead, maybe found a way to get Ryan Presley on this team, I would feel a lot better about the balance of my roster. Well, you know, as far as, uh, you know, possible errors go, it's, uh, it's certainly not a catastrophic one. Uh, the projections hate my team. And I have to say, <laughs> I, I probably agree with those projections. Uh, <laughs> and I think where there was a critical uh, decision for me to be made was early on round three. And I took Kent Maeda as my SP one. And then after that, there were only three more starters that were taken before my round four pick came up. Uh, Tyler Glasnow, Blake Snell, and Lance Lynn. So I think I could have easily waited on SP1 in that situation and gotten somebody around later who would have been fairly comparable and uh, could have uh, filled, you know, filled a need in the outfield or, uh, you know, any number of, uh, you know, first base, any number of positions. Yeah, I mean, I'm bummed you don't like your team, but it's good to learn from the early drafts and, and still have a little bit of time left to uh, apply some of the things that came up in TGFBI to the drafts that you still have left. Yeah, so there is that. Absolutely. When we do lots of drafts, we have lots of opportunities for learning. So and hopefully, uh, you know, my mistakes could, can help you all out with your, uh, your upcoming drafts. So uh, with that said, that's going to be all for this first post-team preview episode of Fantasy Baseball 15 in uh, 2021. If you're listening to this podcast on a platform that allows you to leave a rating and a review, we always do appreciate it when you take the time to do that. So we thank you in advance. And we thank you in advance for filling out our listener survey. Just click on the link that's provided in the show notes. So for Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melkier, and we will be right back here on Tuesday.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.